Thank you for joining us for episode 25 of the Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast, where we aim to bring you the latest in all the news and evidence to help you perform at your best, prevent injury and recover well. I'm Anthony Lance, co-founder of SSPC and your host for today. Well, today is probably the toughest of all of the 25 podcasts that I've done. We've heard from some pretty incredible athletes and and admired what they've done, but today was about a topic much greater than sport and achievements and success. And it leaves me sitting here after having just finished the podcast, really reflecting on life and thinking about how much we just have to value the life we have. Today's guest is very special and she's been through more than any of us can imagine and more than many of us combined will go through in life. So there's not much more to say to intro this podcast other than to get straight into it and listen to the story of Jolene Anderson. As mentioned in the introduction, we're used to hearing in our Perform, Prevent, Recover podcast from sports people and all the challenges and battles that they face in their line of chosen sport. And most of us really deeply admire these uh, sports people for what they've achieved. And we shake our head at their mental and physical toughness that they display. But sometimes in life, something comes along that truly makes us sit back and and appreciate the lives we live and how we so often unnecessarily sweat the small things. And I think the thing that really makes us sit back and reflect on our lives is when death happens around us. And today's podcast has that as a topic, but it's overshadowed by the topic of life. And it's a really special person I'm speaking to today. And, and that, that appreciation and that, that desire for life is, is just incredible. And, and it, it's, it's a real pleasure for me to introduce you today to Jolene Anderson. Um, welcome to the podcast, Jolene. Thank you so much, Anthony. That that chokes me up, actually. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't didn't mean to choke you up this early, but um, look, it's oh. it's interesting, you know, in doing podcasts in in the past, and and I do a lot of preparation and, and notes and questions mm. and orders and and this one's obviously been really tough on knowing mm. you know what to ask and and where yeah. to go and um it's such a hard story for you to tell and it's a it's a it's an important story for us to to get out there not only for your, your yourself and your own situation but as an awareness with um mm. cancer and and what you're facing so look let's just to start with do you want to give the listeners an indication of of you know let's go back to well, let's call it problem number one, so the first thing, mm-hmm. and, and just give us an indication of what happened and, and when. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, 18 months after my first daughter was born, I was, I believe, 33 or 30, no, 36 at the time, um, I actually felt a lump in my chest, in my breast, and um Obviously, I I jumped on it straight away and I went and got it checked out. And luckily, I did because it was actually breast cancer, which was, you know, an absolute shock. Um, We had no uh, family history at all in the 
with anyone, you know. So um, we got that all sorted. I, I actually didn't tell any of my family because I didn't want to worry them. I just wanted to deal with it on my own and and get through it. I did, and um, so I had the lumpectomy and uh, radiation for about eight weeks and just kind of got on with life because, you know, I've got my, my daughter and, and I didn't want to stress too much about it. Um, fast forward, uh, you know, a little bit of time, um, me and my partner wanted to have another child. So I did all the scans and, you know, bone density checks and mammograms and CTs to make sure I was okay before, you know, trying to fall pregnant again. And it was all clear. So we, we had little Layla in 2020. Um, and uh, through the, the pregnancy, I did actually have uh, odd symptoms. Um, at 16 weeks, I actually had a big bleed. I did think I had miscarriage, but it was from, you know, passage number two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I went to the doctor that day, got it checked out, and she said, look, it could just be a uh, hemorrhoid. Or and she said, look, if it happens again, let us know. We'll look into it. Um, but, you know, it, it never really happened to that extent again. Uh, anyway. That was in the first trimester. Second was okay. Third trimester, things started to go a little bit weird. Uh, I was having mucus blood in my stools. Um, I was having crippling pains every day uh, where I dropped to my knees, you know, in the, in the side. Um, I thought I was just having too much magnesium because I had restless legs being pregnant. Um, so throughout all the checks, I was telling my midwife and my GP that I was having these symptoms and again, was just told, oh, you're pregnant. It's just hemorrhoids, etc." I had Layla. That was fine. Uh, that was in January, 2020. And then the symptoms kept happening. Uh, so I thought this is a bit weird. So I think, believe it was about five months down the track. Um, I was officially diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, what got me to that diagnosis was I was doing a workout, you know, I was fit, healthy, um, working out, and I, I felt a lump just under my sternum. I thought, that's weird. Uh, so I went and got that checked out again. Um, and it, it was, uh, she said, look, I don't know what it is, to be honest. Uh, so we had an ultrasound and the sonographer was extremely concerned. She said, I want you to book in for a, 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 an emergency CT straight away. And uh, you got lesions all through your liver. Wow. Yeah. So um, have this the CT. This is how long after your first symptoms? How far? Uh, it would have been over a, a year. Yeah, since, since that I, bleed. Yep, correct. Yeah, um, I went to the GP. Um, you know, various times after Layla, um, I was told to have Benafiber for a couple of months. You know, and it was, I just didn't sit well with me. Um, so. Before, sorry, to backtrack a little bit, before I had felt that uh, lump, I was booked in for a um, colonoscopy and a gastroscopy because I, I just honestly went to different GPs until someone would listen to me. Wow. I, I just wasn't com comfortable with what they were recommending. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, colon cancer at um, 
yeah, I think, yeah, uh, maybe I was 33 when I got, I can't remember. Sorry, it's all a blur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, so so yeah. two completely unrelated cancers, nothing Correct. to do with each other. No, two different primary cancers by the age of, yeah, 36. And the, um, the chances of that, like it must be. A very odd, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, very unusual because there was no um, family history. You know, they had mentioned that it may be environmental. Um, like I was a hairdresser for 13 years, potentially toxins from that. Who knows? Yeah, okay. And I can, uh, can only try and imagine sitting there with your first diagnosis of breast cancer, mm. which just must be shattering but what's your memories of receiving the second diagnosis to be honest um i thought it was the breast cancer and it had gone all through me i thought oh my god it's spread what have i done um you know i i didn't want to have you know you meant to go on i believe it's called tamoxifen um after breast cancer for five years uh because of my age and the the minimal difference that it would make for me with um, recurrence I thought look I want to have another baby before I do that so I I was blaming myself it's all my fault you know but it was completely unrelated it wasn't from the breast cancer at all Um, I was just numb to be honest when they said stage four I'm like wow how did this happen I'm so young you know and so healthy what does stage four mean uh, basically, they told me that chemo for life. Uh, unfortunately, your liver is—it's got tumors all through every lobe. You—you uh, you don't have any salvageable liver. So, chemo for life. Uh, they did take out the the primary tumor in my colon in June 2020. Um, but to be honest, I. I <laughs> I'm one that's very determined and I, I don't like to be told uh, what can and can't happen. So to me, stage four is just a title, but I certainly don't live their expectation of stage four. And so the options facing you at the moment, so you've got the chemotherapy for life. Mm-hmm. There is another option, isn't there? There is. Uh, after a lot of research and luckily thanks to a liver specialist at Peter Mac he actually made me aware that live liver transplants were an option just not here in Australia so over in Norway for example they had been doing it for 15 odd years quite successfully Um, because of that success places like uh, Japan America it's taking off so it's it's becoming a standard of care for this type of uh, metastatic colorectal cancer as long as it's in the liver only. Um, and it's it's an extremely strict criteria that you have to meet. And thank God that I do meet it, yeah. Yep. So what, is, what are some of the criteria you need to yep. meet? Yes, so your tumour markers CEA has to be below 80 Mine's sitting around 2.7, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Your metastatic cancer can only be confined to the liver, so just in the liver. And it's called the Oslo score. 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah. As long as you meet those criterias, um, and you you can't have progressed on chemo, so you know you can't have tumor growth or anything for over a year normally without mutated, you know, mutations within. There's all different mutations within colorectal cancer. Yeah. Sure. Um, so we've pushed it out to 18 months because of my BRAF mutation that I have. Uh, and luckily, I, I, ha- I still haven't progressed on I- any chemos. So that's fantastic. Okay. Yeah, great. And so what is a live liver transplant? Okay, so a live liver transplant is where a donor, living donor, donates right side of their liver um, to myself. So my liver will be completely removed. I would then have their right side, they would keep their left, and within about an eight-week period, each side of the liver would actually grow to a full normal size, which is just incredible. Isn't yeah. it amazing? It is. <laughs> and thank God it, it is a regenerative um, you know, organ that I do have the cancer in, so That's I'm very lucky. Yeah, and in terms of donors, like we know with mm. you know donor hearts and or things like that, that finding a donor itself can be tough. So what's yes. what's a, what's finding a liver donor like? Well, I guess equally as tough because they they have to consent and and still be alive. Basically, um, it's not you know an unfortunate accident that's happened. Um, this person has to, I guess, volunteer and yeah. want to help someone out. Um, and and pass a lot of tests i presume yeah, to be compatible yeah, so, and... yeah they that you know between 18 and 60 years old have a good you know body mass index um no heart disease or diabetes or obviously liver disease no fatty liver um if they're bigger in stature then that's great because their liver is obviously going to be larger so that means they need to donate less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And so the surgery s- still can't be done here in Australia, so you have to go where? Well, I have met a wonderful surgeon. We've been in correspondence for over a year now. He's in uh, Rochester, New York. Okay. They, in, uh, it's called University of Rochester Medical Centre. They've been doing transplants um for a fair few years now but they're they're probably one of the best in america and dr roberto hernandez is the surgeon and he's he's just he's a beautiful man and you know when you just have that this person's come into my life for a reason and and i believe he's he's the one to do it for me to yeah and so what happens in terms of the the donor? Do you, is it you go onto a register or can you, you know, through things like this, you, you also presume the difference being you're appealing to live people that you can, yeah. I mean, put the feelers out there is a yeah. very general term, but you can yeah. just trying to find someone to volunteer to see if they're yeah. compatible? Yes, yes. Yeah. So I, I am looking for... Donors, obviously, the more people that come forward, the better, because I guess plan A, B, C, and D is yeah. always good to have. Um, as long as they're a O blood group, then then that can kick off the, the candidate um, screening. But, yeah, if anyone's got a heart of gold, yeah. <laughs> you know, just reach out and I will be more than happy to point you in the right direction as far as 
testing and, and what needs to happen. And obviously psychological testing as well comes yeah. into it because it's a massive decision. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do the, obviously there's so much to delve into for you and what the surgery will involve, but do you yeah. know what it would involve for the donor? What's the what's the, yeah. the recovery? Yes. And- so actually the donor, um, it's a lot easier for them to recover from the surgery. Yeah. They are usually... Um, they're usually discharged anywhere from uh, seven to nine days after surgery, which is incredible, really. Well, and it's Um, amazing that it's regrown in two months. I know, I know. Uh, And and that's, they they don't have to go on, you know, any rejection meds or anything like that, unlike myself. Uh, They literally just have to go through the surgery and I guess the healing process, um, they don't have a bigger, as big of incision as I would. Yeah. What so, about the recovery for you? For me, it's a little bit harder. Um, uh, I usually you're out of hospital by it's about easy eleven to two weeks. Uh, sorry, eleven days to two weeks. Yeah. I need to go on any rejection meds for the rest of my life, but that's um, monitored co- constantly. So they try to wean it down minimal as possible. Um, and just obviously with the cancer that I'd be technically no evidence of disease after the surgery but the monitoring is every two weeks bloods um, CT scans making sure if anything was to pop up that we're on top of it yeah okay and what about the you sort of said you're effectively cancer free if this surgery Mm. happens like Mm -hmm. is uh, cancer's often talked about in five-year survival rates but what yes. what if you are able to hopefully get to this surgery what yeah. is it what's the outcome what what's the future yes so as i am at the moment with just chemotherapy treatment alone my survival chances are five to ten percent with a in a five-year time frame which is pretty average. Yeah. Um, if I was to have this surgery, I'm looking at boosting those odds up to 75, 85% over a five-year period. So oh, wow. it's, it's just nuts. It's really cha- life-changing, yeah. Now, probably mm. well, one of the big questions is, I know your private health insurance in Australia won't work in New York. <laughs> so um, yeah. what, what's, what are you facing from a cost perspective? Yes, because, yes, um, America are a lot different with their yeah. medical system. <laughs> yeah. It's an eye-watering amount, but we've phenomenally done so well already uh, with, with fundraising. But the surgery itself is about $420,000. Wow. It's yeah. crazy. And that's not taking into consideration flights accommodation you know he wants me to stay over there for two months um to make sure i'm okay to do this big flight home make sure there's no issues um you know russ my my partner would have to come with me and yeah so there's a lot there's a lot involved and a bit of a time frame where we're going to be out of action and you know so it's it's where we're about two hundred and eighty thousand away from our target. Okay. Yep. So the target overall was about um, six seventy, six hundred and seventy thousand. Yeah, right. So, Gosh, you know, I hate to put a price so on far. someone's life, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah. What an incredible amount to have raised. And, and how, yeah. so, you know, for anyone that is interested, there's a yeah. GoFundMe page. There is, yeah. It's called um, Let Her Live a Little Longer. So it's yep. a little bit of a pun because I like to take the yeah. mickey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, basically, if you just Googled let her liver or maybe if you had a link uh, available, um, I can share that with you. And yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll put that on the page at, at the end you. for anyone interested. Um, yeah. yeah. Yep. So tell me, um, your kid, like how old are your two kids? Chloe is five and Layla's just turned two. So the five-year-old, do you, what, how, <laughs> how do you deal with telling her? Yeah, I don't, to be honest. Um, I just say to her that mum's, you know, a bit sick. I, I've never used the word cancer with the children. Um, I think the less they know, the better. I want them to have a normal, happy childhood without that kind of unsure doom and gloom about is mum going to be around. Yeah, uh, I think that's really important, but... When I do go for chemo, I have to have like a little chemo bottle I bring home for two days and I just say, I'm going to get my bottle, you know, so she just knows that's yeah. running the meal every two weeks and doesn't question it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, the, you know, the impact on you obviously is enormous, but um, how's your partner? Well, he's always said, um, as long as you're okay, I'm okay. So yeah. I guess... Um, you know, we're, we're of a very positive mindset. Uh, we, we feel that negativity gets you nowhere. Um, yeah. You know, it, there's being realistic and there's being optimistic. Um, but I just feel that, I don't know, it, it's let's just be happy because life's too short. Let's just put the blinkers on, focus on our mission and uh, get through it. Get back, get back to living. <laughs> Absolutely. And look, it's a hard question, but mm. I, I sort of alluded to it in the intro, but mm. you've you've had so much to uh, mentally deal with about continuing this quest to live and get over this, this cancer. But yep. do you think about dying and death? And Yeah, <laughs> I do. Um I try not to very often, obviously, because this happens. <laughs> I get yeah. a little bit emotional. But, yeah, of course, um, there are times, you know, for example, my daughter, Chloe, she started school last week and I thought, wow, I wasn't sure if I was even going to see that moment. Um, and, uh, you know, in the back of my mind, I've organised my my funeral, <laughs> yeah. you know, but... I think, look, everyone should have that organised, to be honest, because you never know if you're going to be hit by a bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I try not to give it too much airtime because it's it's a bit depressing. Yeah. Um, but, look, it's there. It's, it's, it's that little niggle on your shoulder. But, you know, I think focus and manifest what you want in life. And yeah. everything will be everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah, and look, you know what you've done and what I've read—it's been incredible so far. Like it's just an, an amazing story, and um, and I think look, probably in getting near to finishing up, and and mm. as I said to you earlier, I was going to try not to upset you too much. But no, I think the <laughs> questions are questions that just come yeah. up that 
people need to be aware of and yet your, yeah. your, your honesty is amazing but do you I mean it's interesting in the physio world we'll often say to our patients you know trust your gut feel no, and we can totally. think it's a you know there's nothing wrong with your knee but if you truly believe there is then then mm. we'll investigate it more and when you look back like you've done that you've 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 just I mean it's so hard because from 12 mm. months from symptom to uh, diagnosis and particularly in a cancer where where early detection is so critical um, mm. if there's a message out there for people out of this what what do you say to people well <laughs> um, just if yeah just if you know something's not right or you you're in the back of your mind you think oh I'm not sure should I mention it always mention it to your your GP and and really push like I think it's this day and age, we can't assume. We just, you know, G GPs can't assume that because you're, say, in your 30s, oh, you know, it's IBS or the tests are there and can be done and should yeah. be done. Yeah. So I just feel that you, you just can't stop until you get the answers. You know, yeah. if it's ongoing, just keep going back. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And I think, you know, a lot of the awareness is out there with a lot of these yeah. things, but there's also a mm -hmm. bit of, a, you know, like bowel cancer, people, many people don't realise is right up there with, mm -hmm. with breast and prostate mm -hmm. and melanoma and, and yeah. all these things. But we tend to think, oh, you know what, we'll have the poo test at 50 and worry about yeah. it then. But, you know, yeah. you can't, whilst that is the... The, maybe the general demographic, it, it, it ain't that mm. simple, is it? No, and and oddly or well, scary as well, thing like it's just the world's changing in that respect. Um, I don't know why and what's happening with our health, but, yeah, um, I, I just feel that a lot of people are getting sicker younger and, if anything, we, we need to get the tests done, yeah, early. So yeah, prevention absolutely. is better than, you know, being reactive to... Look, um, thanks for sitting with us and, and um, answering, honestly, some tough questions. And look, as I've said, what you've done and been through and your attitude is just <laughs> a lesson for all of us. And, you know, you, you, you keep approaching it with the fight you've got. And, and I'm sure that I'll be doing another podcast <laughs> down the track about your recovery from this. That surgery. would be amazing. So, um, so if anyone, you know, if any of our listeners um, are interested in helping, they can go to your GoFundMe page, which um, uh, we'll certainly post on our socials and on our podcast web page. And there's also a, there's another site. Yes. So uh, it's, it's called Rare Cancers Australia. Now, this has been set up for, um, it's more of a tax deductible option. So if businesses, et cetera, want to donate, um, it is tax deductible. So yeah, sure. I can send you, send you that link as well. Yeah, we'll put that link up as well. We'll look, um, thanks again for sitting with us and look, good luck and we'll we'll follow your progress. And that's another thing, actually, quickly, Facebook, so people can follow yeah. your journey. What's your yeah. Facebook? Um, it's it's actually called uh, Trying to Catch My Breath. Right. <laughs> again, another pun. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so I, I do try and update it as often as possible, but life is a bit hectic at the moment. But, yeah, I try to just do a little bit of a post about what's happening along the along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And just very last thing is, mm -hmm. is the next step 
dependent on the funds? Is is that what is, or uh, is it the donor, or what's what's the next bit for you? A, a little bit of both, to be honest. But donor, I believe, would be most important, and then that way we can get the screening underway whilst the the um, funds are still churning over. Hopefully, um, yeah. And worst comes to worst, I'll I'll just try and get you know, all my super out or something. Um, we'll just figure it out later. <laughs> so, look, thanks again. Great to speak to you and we'll certainly um, track progress and, and, and say our prayers for you, Jolene. Thank you so much, Anthony. Appreciate it so much. <laughs> Thank you. Well, there you go. That sums up my chat with one of the most amazing, incredible people I've ever met. Jolene's story is is so sad, you know, to think that somebody could go through two separate, completely independent, life-shattering diagnoses by the age of 38. But to hear her sit there and speak about what it was like and, and her thoughts, and we could hear the emotion in her voice, and, and she knew that some of the questions were going to be tough, and she didn't budge one little bit at accepting that was the case and answering them honestly. So I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's made you to reflect back on, you know, the way we live our lives and and the way we worry about things that sometimes don't really need to, or we don't really need to worry about because you think of Jolene and think, um, you know, what an amazing person. If anyone does want to help Jolene and donate towards her cause to get over to New York for her surgery or, if there are any white knights out there that that think that they might want to donate a little part of their liver that will regrow, then we'll have all the links available for you on our webpage and we'll post them on our socials as well. So I hope you've enjoyed listening today as much as you can enjoy a story like this, but there's so much that we can learn and, and, and so many lessons we can take. I look forward to bringing you the next episode. Thanks for listening today. And we'd love if there's any comments or any feedback, don't forget to leave them on our webpage. And a quick thanks also to Southern Suburbs Physiotherapy Centre for bringing the podcast to us. 